Isaac Preston this morning. Yeah, he's in a read. Um, there's a karate film called uh, Ip Man. There's a whole series of them, and so your initials are IP. You now, from now on, for me, Ip. You're Ip, Ip Man. All right. I have the worst initials. Isaac IP. Preston, Ip Man. No, that's really cool. I like it. Isaac's going to be reading today from the Bible. What are you going to be reading, Isaac? Uh, Genesis 6, uh, verses 5 through 22. Begin. All right. <laughs> Begin with the reading of the word. Sounds good. All right. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind, whom I have created from the face of the earth, men and animals, and creatures that move along the ground, and birds of the air. For I am grieved that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Jepheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. And out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Make a roof for it and finish the ark to within 18 inches on the top. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has the breath of life in it. Everything on the earth will perish, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you, two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Thank you, Isaac. Let's thank him. Ip Man. Hey, if you need a Bible this morning, whether you're in the village or here, will you raise your hand? Someone will get you a Bible. If you don't have a Bible this morning, raise your hand. Someone will get you one. And if you don't have one at home, you're more than welcome to take that. Uh, so raise your hand. Someone will hand you a Bible. Just keep it up. Keep it up. I see that hand. I see that hand. Keep it up high. Half hands don't really work in this room. You've got to just keep it up. Uh, yep, yep, lots of them. Nobody's really passing out Bibles. I just wanted to see if you'd do that. No, I'm teasing. Just keep your hands up. They're, they're coming, I promise, I promise. Uh, I want to give you, as they're getting Bibles, I want to give you a little bit of reason why we're, we're landing here. Why would we do 10 weeks of the Old Testament? Uh, it was for us to really look at how do we, as a church, begin to recultivate our love uh, for the scriptures, and more importantly, for the Old Testament. And we wanted to not just give you more information, but to cause you to get back into this book that is so rich and, and such an amazing story that would move you to begin to apply it and transform it. I love D.L. Moody's quote here. The Bible was not given for our information, but our transformation. 
One of the problems in Christian culture today, and I say this a lot about culture and Christian culture, but I mean, we can become so comfortable and acclimated to just traditions and the same thing that we do over and over again, we forget. But we become so accustomed to hearing information about God. And I believe we have a lot of what's called biblical information addicts, a lot of people that will just take in the information but do nothing with it. And you need to hear this morning, that is the last thing that we want to do these 10 weeks. It's not just about giving you new fun facts about God and the Bible. It's, it's not just about the information. If the information doesn't transform you, it really is useless. D.L. Moody has it right. It wasn't given just for our informing. It was so that it moves into our hearts and lives. I would reckon to say that most of you in this room know something in Scripture that you actually haven't allowed to transform your life yet. That be said, we, we probably should be focusing on the application and not as much of the information. So we have this series here in front of us, and our hope is that you get re-energized to get back into it, not for pure information's sake. Our first goal this summer is to, to cultivate a love for this sto- a story. That means this book called the Bible is a beautiful story that God wrote, that God wrote for all of us, not just to be informed, but to begin to apply. Secondly, we want to connect the stories to Jesus. All of the stories in Scripture have a connection point, uh, a road sign in some ways to Jesus. It gives us a picture of what's, what has come and then even Jesus' return again. And it's important that you see that. Often you've read the Bible maybe, especially Old Testament, especially Numbers or Leviticus, and said, what does this have to do with anything? All of it is a part of a bigger story that points right to Jesus. Lastly, we want to charge you. What does that mean? We, we want to not just ask you, but count it your responsibility to apply it and share the story. I mean, when was the last time that you were energized about the application of something in your life that you put into practice and you couldn't help but tell somebody else? I, I blogged about this this week. This, this, we talk about a lot of things in our week. We talk about shopping and purchasing and hunting and fishing. We talk about things that are going on in our world, things that we're excited to share with someone else. When was the last time you had a chance to share the transformation that's, that's unfolding in your soul and share it with somebody? Our hope is not only to cultivate, not only connect, but to charge you with applying and sharing the story. Now we said that this this Bible we have is much like a movie or a story that's being, been written in secular mindset, but any story or movie has some components, five specific. There's characters. We said this story in the Bible is the characters of the Godhead, God Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's Satan and there's humanity. Those are your basic characters. The setting is heaven and earth. There's no alien planet that Area 51 has somehow found and discovered, a plot is God's reconciliation with humanity. And the conflict, we look, there's three different levels, and you could probably break this down even more, but basic, God versus Satan. Man versus sin. If you're not reminded of that this week, then I think you're blind to your own walk, is that we struggle. 
even in being Christ followers and not a slave any longer to sin, we battle that. That's part of uh, the conflict. And then Jesus versus sin. And then our last is the resolution, God's reward for those who received his gift of grace. As we look further in the scriptures, the story, the end of the story is God restoring what he had once created to be new again. So with this, we're, we landed last week out of the fall. And the fall was Adam and Eve being put in a garden, and we said that pointed right to Jesus that was put into a time of testing as Adam and Eve were in the garden, but they had plenty Jesus had 40 days in the wilderness and was starving. And we found that, that Jesus passed that test. Adam and Eve didn't. Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden. Jesus' test of, of, of resisting temptation repaved the way for us to re-enter. And so we see that picture, but one of the things we didn't go over was the curse. And in Genesis chapter 3, in your Bibles, there was a price to be paid for sin. And sin infected the world and changed how men and women relate. It changed how men would view work and the burden of work. It would change how uh, child labor would go, right? It's the pain of child labor. Uh, even snakes w- would be somewhat punished and find a curse. There, there was a curse. And we find ourselves now after the fall about 1,600 years later, and we're right at the flood, and, and we're at this flood, and we're going to talk about this morning about where God stands in the flood and why would he use a flood. This number represents 50 trillion. 50 trillion cells in your body. 50 trillion. All committed to an objective. To operate underneath the design of sustaining health and growing your body and and uh, keeping all the functions properly, but the cells are just, I'm not a doctor or a biology person, but I tell you, you study the Bible, reading uh, Dr. Brand's work on Fearfully Wonderfully Made, the amazing wonder of your body, 50 trillion cells. But every one of us this morning knows that it only takes one cell, like this one. One cancer cell that decides to rebel, decides to go off on its own independently and work against and destroy the other cells, to feed off of the, of the body and the cells, eventually killing its host, it operates on its own, 50 trillion and one. I want to just ask for, for some help this morning. If, if you this morning have had or have cancer, would you stand this morning? Just stand. I want you to feel the impact of of this group. And I hate cancer. I want you to stay standing. I hate cancer. And I want you to see something. How many of you have a friend or family member that you have lost who has had cancer or has it now? Would you stand? I want you to feel, now look around. Cancer, one cell impacts this entire room, impacts everybody. You can have a seat. In the garden, Adam chooses and Eve choose to rebel. And what happens is that cancer of sin infected all of humanity. It infected all of humanity. And as much as I could say to you, I hate cancer, God 
hates sin. It's probably the best metaphor and illustration we could use this morning to paint a picture about sin. So God, for 1,600 years, has dealt with the horrible, destructive cancer called sin and watch it destroy his creation. That lands us to the flood. And so in Genesis chapter 6, I want to make some observations about God this morning and then tie this in in the end. And so, bit of a fire hose, but follow with me, if you will, in your Bible. In Genesis chapter 6, it says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was evil all the time. Think about that. We, we, I hear a lot these days, we're such a bad world today. We're, we're worse off. I don't know. I think we've always been evil. We've always been infected with cancer. And really, if you have cancer, you have it. I mean, you, you like to see things shrinking, right? The, the cells shrinking in the number. But the reality is it's the infection. And, and this just says that their thoughts and the human heart was never right. That's a pretty dark period of history. You could imagine as the creator of the universe saw the destruction of the, the cancer called sin destroying those he created. Much like we have felt, I have felt when a family member hears the diagnosis of cancer, oh, I hate it. I want to eradicate it. I want it out of their their system, out of their body. I want it gone. Those of us who have been impacted by that, whether personally or a friend or family, it's like you want it out. So verse 6, the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. Let me me unpack this a bit because this this troubled us in our teaching cohort, but if you do a little bit of study on the word regretted, it's, it's not kind of how we use it today. When we say regret, it's kind of the same as, I wish I never. It would be like us having our children, our four daughters, and saying, I wish one of them was never born, like regretted. And, and that isn't the case here. It's, it's more of a sense of feeling weighty and grieved, and God didn't want to feel that anymore. God did not want to contend with the evil and the cancer any longer. God did not want his creation being destroyed by such a horrible disease called sin. And so he longs and, and, and laments that. His heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I'm going to wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created. Whoa. And with them and all the animals and birds and creatures that move around the ground, for I regret that I've made them. God's going to destroy the earth. If you question how sin has impacted not just the human heart, but all of creation. God just doesn't say about humans. He says all of creation. Sometimes we wonder about the world today. It's, the creation's not perfect. It's flawed. All the, the things that the, the earth is going through and, and creation is going through is, is marred by the cancer of sin. God, naturally so. He, he wants to eradicate it. It's like when you heard, some of you heard you're cancer-free. It is gone. That feeling of yes, and God longs to cleanse his creation from this. 
But look at verse 8. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Wow. First point is, you need to hear that God is a holy God. He hates sin and will punish it with his full wrath. This morning, we don't typically talk like this in, in, in our church, and we don't talk about the wrath of God. But I'm sure that some of you, if you've lost loved ones, we have, and to cancer, that there's a hate and there's a sense of we'll do anything. We'll unleash any amount of wrath we can to remove cancer. Wouldn't you? God said that he cannot be with this cancer called sin. And he's a holy God. And I think we've, we've become a very PC, politically correct culture. And we use this word tolerance. And friends, in the Bible it never calls us to be tolerant. It call, calls us to be kind and gentle and loving, but to not tolerate sin. And that doesn't mean pointing people out, but don't tolerate in your own life. God is a holy God. We've we found ourselves like the frog that puts put in warm water and you, you can boil him. He won't jump out if you turn up the heat slowly. And our culture has numbed us, I think, to the reality of the darkness that are in our hearts and our minds. Stuff that I know this week for me, just even in my own heart, knowing, oh, Lord, why? Why again do I rebel like that cancer cell and make a different choice? God hates sin. doesn't hate you. He hates sin. And so he will fully, fully punish with the full extent of his wrath. Noah, in verse 9 then, we see this account of Noah and his family, and he was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, we see this. Now, the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence, but God saw how corrupt the earth had become, and for all the people had corrupted their ways. But God says to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people on the earth. And so he asks him to make an ark. God's judgment is also full of grace and mercy. Can I give you two pictures here? The garden, God could have destroyed Adam and Eve. Up, oh, you screwed up. That's right, you messed up. You're done. You know, whatever sound comes from heaven in full destruction, I don't know. You know, gone, vaporized. Don't you see there's even a loving God in grace to say, no, now you're just out of the garden. And then to have, have the, the world so violent and evil and dark that God finds one family. I'm going to offer salvation. I'm going to offer grace and mercy to one. Friends, that story preaches every Sunday that we all have grace and mercy offered to us. We all deserve so much less because each of us have at least one out of the 50 trillion cells, one that's called sin in our life that infects us all. God's judgment is so full of grace and mercy. Proverbs 1-7 this week hit me really hard. I, I have been counseling quite a few people these days, have been pretty busy, and a lot of trouble and a lot of hurt and pain and loss I told one couple and one fellow, I just said, 
Friend, you've got to stop reading your Bible just to keep you out of sin like it's some obligatory thing and some magic thing to do that. And I said, you, you have to recognize there's a love for God and a fear of receiving his wrath. Proverbs 1, 7, and there's many throughout the Bible, says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you want to take a step this morning, like a first step in a relationship with God, might it be learning the awesomeness and beginning to fear a God that sees the cancer in you? No matter if you're private, no matter if some, the police don't see you, your spouse doesn't see you, he does. He sees the cancer. It's hit me square this week and just saying, oh, Lord, forgive me for minimizing sin as if it's like respectable sins and, and really bad sins. And like I start to, to measure those, don't you? And like, oh, it's not so bad. I'll, I'll work harder on that. And we don't sense it's a cancer. It's all cancer. It all destroys us. This is the fear of the Lord, maybe to begin to understand the wrath he has against sin. Verse 17, I'm going to bring floodwaters, God says, to the earth and destroy all life under the heavens. Look at verse 18, but I will establish my covenant. What's a covenant? It's more than just a promise. It's not a contract. A contract, if Jeff and I had a contract, one of us could break that contract and then the other one would be unobligated to fulfill it. A covenant? Literally, they would cut animals in half and walk between them as a blood path, saying, if I don't do my part in this covenant, this is what could be done to me, no matter what you do. That's why marriage, friends, is a covenant, not a contract. Marriage is a covenant. God establishes this covenant with Noah and says, you're going to enter an ark, your sons, your wife, and your, and your sons' uh, wives with you. Uh, then you're going to bring two living uh, creatures, not two living creatures, but two of every kind, a male and female. And God asks Noah of this, and he says, and Noah did everything as God commanded him. I just think for a moment. When's the last time you've done everything God's asked you? I mean, aren't there things in this book you read like, uh, no, no, I'm not ready for that one yet. Switch, change the quiet time schedule, right? Uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, someone who's left our church, and it was a painful leave, called and said, I'm just feeling convicted that we need to reconcile. And so my wife and I and, and that couple, we got together. And I have to confess, I really did not want to get together. Everything in me wanted a pound of flesh. But it's this point at which you recognize God calls you to things to apply in your life that he's spoken. And God, I, I just, I, I think I recognized how much God has loved me and given me grace. Man, we reconcile, I tell you, God is good. But I recognize there's so much room for me to apply everything he's already commanded me. Genesis 7 then moves on, and the Lord says to Noah, go into the ark, your whole family, because I found you righteous in this generation. It's a huge compliment to Noah. 
But let me just step back. Does it mean Noah is, a, is super good? Like, he's, he's getting it all right. You know, he's, he's super obedient and he's not sinning. No, God just deems him. God gives righteousness. We don't. We don't establish any rightness in our lives. Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him in the 600 year of Noah's life. Uh, just to know, we're not going to talk about all these archaeological, where did the dinosaurs go, the canopy, the age of the earth. All these are great things, but this is information for this morning we're not going to do. Uh, apparently, he, he's only been married 100 years. I don't know if he was like a single for 500 years, so some of you singles, you know, you got time. Um, there's tons of jokes with this, but I won't go there. Anyway. But I'll be here all week. There you go. Uh, on the 17th day of the second month, uh, the springs start to, to flood the earth and the rain falls. Uh, and we worked hard, uh, our team, to get it to rain today. And so there you go. You've got the rain and the flood and 40 days and 40 nights. Now, where have we seen 40 days and 40 nights? Where else? Ah, the desert. Isn't it interesting? The purification of Jesus and the temptation of the desert, 40 days and 40 nights, would be the same purification that we would experience and see Noah in the flood. Another point about God is he requires full obedience. I just mentioned a little bit about this. It's not partial obedience, it's full obedience. God wants us, as we dive into this Bible, friends, can I, again, I'm not going to have enough time to pound you with a lot of this. But if you're not in relationship with other believers, working through the conflict of your faith and relationship, you're really not connected to the, you are a You are a paralyzed body member or maybe even severed. People who say, I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, but I don't belong to a church, have a very wrong picture of what God made you. That gal and her husband, we were made to be connected in the body of Christ. And maybe, just maybe, God wanted us to work through that, to obey and to learn something much deeper than we could on our own. God requires this full obedience, and Noah definitely gives that to him. In Hebrews 7, it'll mention Noah's faithfulness. And so in Hebrews 11, it says, By faith, Noah, when warned about the things not yet seen in holy Fear, the fear of the Lord is beginning of wisdom, builds an ark. Uh, God, what's an ark? Uh, it's a boat that floats on water because rain's, what's rain? I mean, think about his obedience. Noah's obeying that has no idea. And I think for us today, we as Christians want everything mapped out. I'll share my faith with people in the office or outside of the office, and they said, you know, I just need some more proof, like they're, like it's spiritual financial planning, you know, like, give me all the steps and tell me how secure, how much risk is there? Boy, and I, I can't tell you that, because the Bible says, God, you're, you're a, a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. That means not a Coleman you know, like pump kerosene light that gives you tons of light. It's a candle. One step, one step. In holy fear, Noah just is taking these steps. And it take, it, think about his, the length it took him to build this ark. By faith, he, 
He condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness. Here's what's perfect. He didn't deserve it, but God made him one. God offers grace and mercy, and that's keeping with faith. God establishes righteousness. Noah didn't earn this, but God just establishes, I'm going to save one. We keep going here. For 40 days, the flood kept coming. Um, and as we know that the ark rose and, and uh, the waters rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than 15 cubits. You can see that. Basically, it means it's fully submerged. Every living thing that moved the land perished. Everything is dead. Only Noah and was left and those him in the ark. And the waters flooded the earth for 150 days. Now, I want to talk for a moment about this because the earth is completely flooded. The highest point on earth is flooded, more than 23 feet, I think it is. Nothing you can see. Now, how many people saw the movie Noah, right? Okay, nice sci-fi, but um, a little off, uh, right? Although you could discover how we lost unicorns, right? Because the guy ate it on, on the ship and he wasn't supposed to. Some of you are laughing, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Um, it's just a sci-fi, not very biblical. What it did give us an interesting picture of what it might have felt like on a massive boat, a football field and a half, that housed every living creature on the earth and this one family. That had been overwhelming. But God's judgment is about cleansing. You see, God's judgment and wrath against sin is like cancer. The goal to go to radiation or chemo is not to kill the patient. What is it to kill? Is to eradicate everything possible out of that body so that what? Restoration comes. God's wrath on sin isn't a God that's cruel to us. He is committed to getting rid of sin. And God's judgment is about cleansing. There are two different cleansing concepts. Well, there's a few, but two I want to point to. One is through water. We see this in the flood. The flood is this picture of water, and we do something traditionally that we're called to do, and that's called baptism. The word baptize comes from also a word in the Greek. They used to use it to, uh, to say that when a ship would fully be submerged underwater, it was baptized. It sank. It was baptized, submerged and immersed in water. That meant something died. Back then, there wasn't a YMCA swimming class, so the idea of swimming was very foreign. You most likely, if you were in the water, you were going to drown. You were going to be baptized in the water. God's judgment is about cleaning. We see this tradition about water go through all the temple sacrifices. Later on, we're going to see God is going to call judgment on the earth about and destroy evil with fire. And its purpose is to purify. 1 Peter 3 says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Jesus came and did what he did, so that you have a way back in. You have a way, a, a bridge, if you will, to the ark to be restored. He was put to death in body but made alive in spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight and all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism. 
that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from our body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. A pledge of a clear conscience towards God. We do baptism here biblically because it's not, it's, it's not a magic like, hey, you're going to be now free from sin. It's symbolic that you've been baptized. Your life has been flooded completely and the new person emerges. It says it saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone to heaven and is God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Now Genesis 8 gets us now into the latter part of this. So he sends out a dove. He's looking for ground. But now he says he waits seven more days because he keeps doing this from the ark. And when the dove returned to him in the evening, there was in its beak a, beak a freshly plucked olive leaf. Then Noah knew that the water had received uh, that the water had receded from the earth. God brings peace and reconciliation. So this symbol has a lot to do with baptism. And when we look at the picture of Jesus, when Jesus, before he gets tempted, he's baptized by John the Baptist, and what appears in the sky? A dove. Always, with God's wrath to eradicate the cancer of sin, God is about Restoration. This is why, friends, as Christ followers, we were never meant to just kick people out of community because they're not in or they're sinning. We are to do, to, to remove them for a time to only then restore them. All, everything about cleansing and getting rid of evil in our lives is about restoration, not exclusion not saying it's us and them, and we see sin as a cancer, and we long for everyone to be sin-free, cancer-free. And as we operate in the body of Christ, friends, just news for you, we're all going to be sinful. And so if that's true, then how do we reconcile with one another? How do we model what God's given to us and say, all right, maybe I need to sit with a brother and saying, you know what, you're in sin, and I come to you humbly because I sin too, but gosh, God says this is how you should operate. You know, you shouldn't be getting drunk every night of just using that as an example and saying, man, God wants more for you. Maybe he doesn't repent, so you bring another person. And you bring another person. It says that at the end you might push them out for a season. Why don't you take a break from this body because you are blaspheming the very name, very book of saying, God, this is how you called us to operate, and you're not living that way, and, but we want to call you back once you've recognized the cancer in you. Not we're better than you. This is so beautiful that God brings peace and reconciliation. We should model that. Our community should be a, a, an amazing place for reconciliation. Then Noah builds an altar to the Lord and took some of the clean animals and clean birds and he sacrifices a burnt offering and we'll get into those later on in the summer. And it says, never again will I curse the ground because of humans and never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. Genesis 9 says, then God says to Noah and his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you. Multiple covenants that God's gonna have in the scripture. This is another one. I'm gonna have a covenant with you and your descendants after you. That means us. 
And friends, the grace offered to Noah and his family allows us to sit here today. Because without God giving grace and mercy to that family, humanity doesn't exist. And he says for us that we have this beautiful covenant and this reminder. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of the flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. Let me just make a comment about this. I think there's this theology out there that God is bringing natural disasters to destroy places. Let me just tell you how warped that theology is. One, it says that God's measuring evil, and therefore, I would say brace yourselves because there should be a flood to Green Bay, specifically Howard, right? Amen? Because we're all, we're all evil. Then you go, well, why not Las Vegas first, right? Or Amsterdam, you know, or one of the casinos, right? And I'm not trying to measure you, but do you see how crazy that is? I believe sin has infected the earth. I can't explain to you the, the things of nature and God. I don't know. But I know this, that his covenant, that he would not destroy the incomplete of the earth, and he brings a rainbow. Th- this morning, I, I love us embracing people that don't know God, but I agonize over the use of the rainbow today of what its true sign is. The, cu- the culture has warped and distorted the things of God. That rainbow is to say, I promise that there'll always be an ark. I promise that you will never be fully destroyed. God keeps his covenants. God is a God that keeps his covenants and he has promised us that. And friends, we should be embracing that So look at the connection. Look at the road signs. You probably already picked up on them. All these road signs pointing right to Jesus. Noah is the righteous amongst the evil of the earth. Who is deemed righteous, perfect, amongst all of humanity who lives his life here for 33 years? Jesus Christ, sinless, tempted just like you and I. All the emotions, all the thoughts, all the struggle, he was perfect. He was cancer-free. The ark God asked Noah to build an ark. God asked his son, Jesus Christ, to hang on a cross, a wooden cross. And friends, that cross, like the ark, becomes the salvation to us. It says, bear your cross. Take up the cross. The flood, massive baptism, (laughs) flood, and a lot of death. And baptism becomes this beautiful picture of 10 people last week, but 262 of you have made decisions this this last year, since September 1, of I am saying I am changed and God is transforming my life and I'm on the ark. I'm, I'm, I've taken this cross. And then the dove, the dove that shows that there's land, there's a place for us for that restoration. The scripture says that one day he will return And he will return again and say, we have a place. And we do have a place now. God says, even now on the earth, we have a chance for peace. Not political peace, friends. That's not happening. Newsflash. No government, no no person we elect will solve the world's problem of sin. But we have a place inside that Jesus Christ only offers. So what's our response this morning as AJ and Bobby come up and lead us? What can we do? 
what can we really do with all this information? First, I, I think it's time for us as a church to, sp- to begin to focus. We talked about this last week. Same three things. We've got to recognize our sin, the cancer in us. I don't know what it is for you. I just read this week, uh, you know, lists of things that God hates. And friends, I looked at some of them and thought, whoa, I might be by leaning in one of those spaces. I started to evaluate my own life and start to see, wow, if I, if I have a list of respectable sins that no longer affect me, I don't see that they're cancer and they're going to destroy me. Recognize your sin. Second is repent from that sin. Scripture says to, to run away from it. Do everything you can to separate yourself from that cancer. And then respond to God. And friends, this morning, a response this morning, there's a few things. If you know God this morning, a response is maybe to get on your knees. As David said, God put a finger, your Holy Spirit, anything in my life that needs to be changed. Man, it, it's, it's terrible to be me because I sit in offices telling you guys a lot of things that you should do. And all of a sudden, I, I close the door when you leave and thud crud. I have to do that. I have to apply the very thing I talk about every week. Maybe that's why I'm a teacher, because I'm hard-headed and maybe the most struggling in this room. But you have to do the same. Some of you need to eradicate the cancer in your life called sin. There's another group of you here that maybe have never got on the ark, figuratively speaking. You've never recognized that your sin will lead to your death and demise. It will kill you. It is a cancer that will kill you, and God offers a way. I'm going to have you bow your heads right now. I'm just going to ask any of you in the room that you're just sensing, this morning will be the morning for me to respond to God, to say, God, I want forgiveness for the cancer the sin of cancer, or the cancer of sin in my life. And God, I accept the gift of your son, that sacrifice that allows me a way to be reconciled to you. Would you just stand, if that's you this morning, you want to receive Christ this morning. You want to make a decision, and you don't want to be separated from God. If that's you this morning, would you just stand up? I'm going to pray with you. Yeah, just stand up if that's you this morning because God longs for his creation to be cancer-free. He doesn't want the sin in there anymore. So a simple prayer, there's no magic to it. It's your own confession and your own prayer. Will you tell God, admit that you're a sinful person and say, God, I long for the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ. I accept that free gift. Just tell them that right now. Father, as these standing, I pray, God, that your spirit would move through them and encourage them, Father, that they, in a figurative way, have walked onto the ark, taken that cross that Christ died for them. And God, today, June 8th, they can write down, uh, in, in a calendar, they could say, I have come to know you. I made a decision to walk with you. And so, Father, I, 
I ask, Lord, for encouragement. I ask for other brothers and sisters to be around. I pray that today is a memorable day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. Let's thank God for those who've made decisions. Yeah. Is today June 8th or 7th? You should write 7th, not 8th. Sorry. Hey, AJ's going to lead us on what can we do. Those of you who are going to go take communion this morning, it's for those of us who know Jesus. Please uh, do that with families.